Welcome everyone to the Mimetic Exegete Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Skidmore, and this is episode one. So a few words on the title of this podcast, The Mimetic Exegete. First up, the idea of mimetic comes from mimetic theory, which was developed by an armchair anthropologist, René Girard. And we'll get into that a little bit more as we go. But for now, don't worry too much. The other word, exegete, is someone who draws something out of the text. And the basic premise of this podcast is to look at specific biblical texts through the lens of mimetic theory. And in doing so, I hope to draw out some fresh reading, some practical application, which we may not have seen before. Now, to start today, I wanted to start by looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. This is a really interesting book. And I think if we're going to grasp what the preacher is trying to say, the message that this guy is trying to communicate in the book of Ecclesiastes, then mimetic theory is a good lens to see that through. I've mentioned the preacher. So the book of Ecclesiastes is basically a sermon by this guy called the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And that's all we know. We don't know who it's about, when it was written. Scholars argue about this sort of stuff. Scholars argue about this preacher's philosophy on life, his epistemology. In other words, how do we know stuff? But that's not what I'm going to get into today. I think the preacher has some very important wisdom which he wishes to share with us. And that is really the thrust of the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, let's talk a little bit about wisdom for the moment. There's different types of wisdom. There's a conventional wisdom. For example, always brush your teeth, always wear clean underwear, always look twice before crossing the road, or eat healthy choices. These are the things that your parents teach you. And the idea is that if you follow these rules, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Hopefully you'll live a long life or at least maximize your chances of that happening. Now in the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible, we see a type of conventional wisdom preached there. The wisdom is things like only follow the Lord alone, only worship the Lord alone, don't worship other gods. Honor your father and mother that the days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. All these things are important and central to Israel's core testimony, if you like, their conventional wisdom. These are the rules that if you live by, you're supposed to live a long and happy life. And that's the idea of conventional wisdom to show you the best life possible and to guide you in the way that you can make the best effort towards living that life. Now the book of Ecclesiastes is particularly interesting because at times it seems to jar with this conventional wisdom. For example, let me read to you Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 16 which says, Do not be overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? So while conventional wisdom of Israel says, yes, pursue righteousness, pursue wisdom, here's a verse which says, well, hang on, don't get too carried away with it. You could destroy yourself. 
why would someone or how would someone destroy themselves by pursuing wisdom and righteousness? Now, as we unpack today, we'll have an answer to that question because mimetic theory helps us see what's going on here, what's behind the scenes. So we'll get to that in a moment. But let's start by going back to the first chapter, the opening verse of this book, Ecclesiastes. So the preacher begins his sermon. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation comes and a generation goes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rose. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its currents the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they will flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It is already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So an interesting opening to this book, and it sounds kind of pessimistic. In fact, a lot of scholars talk about this preacher's pessimism in the book of Ecclesiastes. But what we're going to see is this pessimism is not pessimism for the sake of pessimism. It's not even pessimism. But what we're going to find is this preacher has had what mimetic theorists call an awakening or a conversion experience. This preacher has discovered something about life, something about the pattern of life, something about the way that humans interact with each other, something about the way desire is conceived and he's sharing it with us in this book. So let's go on, let's keep reading what the preacher has to say from verse 12, the preacher goes on. I the preacher have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my wisdom, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who are over me in Jerusalem. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceive that this too is also but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases in knowledge increases sorrow. So the conventional wisdom of ancient Israel would say, pursue wisdom, pursue knowledge. But the preacher here says, no, no, no. If you get overly wise, it'll lead to vexation. And people who are overly clever, who accumulate lots of knowledge, they'll only get sadder. Their sorrow will increase. Now, has this preacher got something against knowledge and wisdom? Does he want us all just to be ignorant and silly and foolish? Well, and the short answer is no. 
in chapter 2, verse 13, the preacher says, Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I perceive that the same events happen to them all. So the preacher concedes that wisdom is better than foolishness. In that sense, the preacher is not really presenting a form of counter-wisdom, but he's presenting a different type of wisdom which will complement the conventional wisdom. In other words, wisdom is good, righteousness is good, but it can also be a stumbling block, which is what we're going to talk about now. So mimetic theory says that we don't really know what we want. In other words, we don't know what we desire. We think we want a certain thing and we think that we want it because we want it. We think that we've come up with that all of our own and we've surveyed all the options available to us and we've decided, yes, that's who I want to be. Yes, that object is desirable. Yes, I want that. But mimetic theory says we're not quite as autonomous as we might think. In other words, our decision-making is influenced by all the people around us. So let me explain this. So what we do is we start by looking around and we wonder, who should I be? What is going to make me happy? What is going to make me complete? Because we're all asking this question of ourselves. And mimetic theory says, what do we do? How do we work out? How do we answer that question? And according to mimetic theory, we look around us and we look at other people. We search Facebook, we search Instagram. And what we may see, for example, is a lawyer who's a partner in a law firm. And we decide and we see, we look at the Instagram feed and we go, oh wow, that person's got a beautiful house. Oh, that person's got a beautiful spouse, a wonderful car, an amazing lifestyle. Oh look, there they are holidaying in the Swiss Alps. And in summertime, there they are on the beaches in the Caribbean. And you think, man, that would be so wonderful to be like that person. Well, I want to be like that person. How do I do it? And you come to the conclusion, well, if I want that sort of lifestyle, I'll go and become a lawyer too. And of course, you've watched a little bit of Law and Order and you thought, oh, gee, that looks fun. I'm going to give this a go. So you start the long trek to becoming a lawyer. You work hard and you enroll in law school. And man, you know that mediocre grades aren't going to cut it. So you work hard. You attend every lecture. You do every reading. You work hard and you're burning the candle at both ends. And you work so hard and you get the good marks. But when holidays come around, you know that that's not enough. You need some sort of experience. You need a foot in the door. You need network. You need contacts. So you go and you land an internship at a prestigious local law firm. Now, you know that this is not easy to do. So you work hard, you spec up a resume, you dress well, you present yourself, you bring your marks and you show these people that you are the guy they want on their team for this unpaid internship. And because you work so hard, you put so much effort into presenting yourself, you actually land the internship. So you work all through your university holidays 
so that you can gain this experience and make these network contacts. And then of course, you just get right back on the treadmill at the end of school holidays, your internship finishes, and you start again back at law school, again, studying, burning the candle at both ends and working day in, day out to achieve the grades you need to be the best of the best. And you do this cycle over and over again until finally at the end of your three or four years, you graduate law school. Congratulations, you're the top of your class. And you do get an offer to join that prestigious law firm that you've always wanted to be a part of. How good is that? You can now make coffees for the partners and settle the conveyancing and all the mediocre tasks. Not exactly the dream you've been chasing, but you'll get there. And you eventually do. You work hard. You make the best lattes. And you are quick with what you do. You're efficient. You study hard. You know everything. And you're the best conveyancer out there. And finally, the law firm says to you, you know what? You've paid your dues. You may buy in to our firm as a partner. So you save up heaps of money. I have no idea how much it costs, but I assume you save up heaps of money to buy in and become a partner in this law firm. And finally, you've made it. Finally, you've got that income. And finally, you go, you find the house, the exact house you want. In fact, you can't find it. So you decide, I'm going to buy a block. I'm going to build the exact house I want. In fact, it looks just like that one you saw on Instagram. And then you go and you buy the same car that you saw on Instagram because you're thinking, man, this is how I do it. And then you finally find a spouse who is like that one you saw on Instagram again. And one day, you're actually at the top of this mountain. You've climbed it. You've got the car. You've got the house. You've got the job. You've got the income. You're holidaying in the Swiss Alps. You're holidaying in Barbados. And you look back and you say to yourself, man, am I happy? Am I complete? I've got everything I thought I needed to make me happy and complete. Am I there? And you tell yourself, no, I'm not. So what do we do? when we've done that. You know, we've, we've all been there. We've all chased that job, chased that car, chased that spouse. And we thought that if I just get this personal thing, it'll make me happy. I'll be the person I want to be. I'll be complete and everything will be fine. But we always find that that's not the case. And So what do we do next? We look for something else. We get back on Instagram, back on Facebook. We start trolling to find something else that we think will fill that void. And we get on the same treadmill, on the same hamster wheel and go through the same cycle over and over and over again. And pursuing wisdom and righteousness can be just like that. We can get overly concerned with being overly wise, being overly righteous. And we think, oh man, if I just get, if I just become more wise, if I just become more clever, then I'll have made it. Then I'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And you dedicate yourself solely to that purpose. And that is what destroys you. That is what the preacher talks about in chapter 7, verse 12, when he says, the, if you become overly wise or overly righteous, 
it may destroy you. In fact, it's not really the righteousness or the wisdom that's the problem for the preacher. It's the pursuit. It's the belief. And it's the striving and straining after those goals that will destroy you. It's the belief that when you finally become wise or you finally accumulate heaps of knowledge, that then you will be happy and complete, healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that is what the preacher is warning us about. He's saying, hey, knowledge, wisdom, they're great things. They're useful. It's better than being a fool. They come in handy. But if you make an idol out of those things, if you pursue them and strain and struggle after those things to the detriment of everything else, you will destroy yourself. Because in the end, you'll finally climb that mountain and you'll realize that it was a vain pursuit. As the preacher says, all is vanity, all is like chasing after the wind. Sit with that image of chasing after the wind for a moment. What do you do? You run after the wind. Do you ever catch the wind? Maybe you do. Maybe you chase around after the wind. You can't see it. You can feel it. You're running around. Imagine this madman running in circles, chasing after the wind. And finally, the madman thinks they've caught it. They clasp their hands together. They open and they find out that their palms are empty. They've caught nothing. They've achieved nothing. And the preacher is saying, hey, when we're on this treadmill, when we're looking after things, when we're pursuing and straining and struggling and we think that thing is going to make us complete, one day we will stop. We'll think we've caught it. We'll open our hands and realize, just like the lawyer in our example, that all of this was a vain pursuit, just like chasing after the wind. So you might say to the preacher, oh, well, that's all well and good. You know, we can understand what you're saying about knowledge and wisdom. You know, who needs them? But seriously, I'm sure there's something out there that will complete me. Maybe it's not those things. Maybe it's something else. I'm sure there's something. Well, that's why the preacher goes on in chapter two. So let's read on with the preacher who says, in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched out with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I made male and female slaves, and I had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions, herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under 
the Son. So the preacher sounds a warning for us. Know that there is nothing that you can do that will fulfill that hole, that void. It will not complete you. Whatever object, whatever person, whatever thing you look at on Instagram or Facebook or some other clever marketing tool and you look at and you think, oh, that's it. That's the thing I need. That's what I need to be complete. Once I get that, I'll be whole and happy. Whatever it is, the preacher warns you, it's vanity. It's chasing after the wind. Because the preacher, of course, has been there and done that. The preacher tells us, I've tried everything. I've tried alcohol. I've tried spouses. I've tried concubines. I've got slaves. I've tried gardening. I've tried farming. I've tried everything. And I can tell you, let me save you some time. It's all vanity. It will not fulfill you. It will not complete you. What do we do with that? It sounds rather pessimistic. But... It's not because the preacher does give us something later on. We'll talk about that in the next podcast. We'll talk about what the preacher does recommend we do, how we can find fulfillment, how we can be complete. But first, I want to just focus in on what the preacher is warning us about. He's warning us about where we will not find completeness. And it's in those things that we chase after, in those objects which we desire, and we think will bring us completeness. We think it will make us whole. But the preacher's sounding a warning note for us all. He's saying, those of you who are on that treadmill, you're chasing something, you're striving after it, you're straining after it because you think that it will complete you. You think it will make you whole. You think it will make you happy. You're wasting your time. So maybe this is an opportunity for us to pause and think, What in our own lives is there which is playing that role, that thing that we think will make us happy, that thing that we think we need to be complete and whole? What is it? Because the preacher warns us, you're going to come up empty. You're chasing after the wind. What you're doing is totally vain. So I hope this is helpful. I hope This will be helpful in your life, this insight from the preacher, this warning that we're all on this treadmill. We're all striving after something, but in the end, we're wasting our time. In the end, we'll come up short and find out that it was all vanity and that it was all chasing after the wind. Now, the preacher does offer us some hope, which we'll talk about in the next episode. But until then, I hope that this will be helpful. I hope that this sermon will bring fruit forth in your life. And I pray until we meet again, may God bless you and keep you.